Hello and welcome to Dynamite Neddy. It's the Retro Games Podcast where a couple of OW pals get together and talk about a couple of OW games. The voice you're hearing just now is myself, Mick Clockerty. Joining me as always, we have Mr. Andy Mack. Kirichiwa. And Mr. Mick McCormick. Hello. Lads, scheduling's been a wee bit off. We've um, we've finally got round to recording. And on today of all days, it is fucking St. Patrick's Day. Hey. Please keep so, the sectarianism to a minimum. <laughs> Signed to your editor. Um, <laughs> well, I, I think I think you can allow us one Chucky R. and we'll move on from there. Um, <laughs> but, uh, any Guinness drinking today, or, or have you's um, he's been on the straight and narrow? Aye, man. I've been for the last couple of hours. I've been snoring my head off. But not one eight fucking trying to finish this dissertation, so it's killing me, man. But um, I'm nearly there, so. A week, a wee couple more days maybe, and I'll be sorted, but... Ach, aye, aye, the, the tortures of the damned, man, eh? The tortures of the damned. Torture the of the damned. The dark souls of essays. <laughs> I know, I know, get it out of the road, man, that's it. Fucking 10,000 words, it's not the end of the world, I thought. And then the world well, literally ends. 10,000 words is nothing to be sniffed at. I know. No. I can, I can do 3,000 in one day, man. Just whack it right out, but then when it actually comes to doing it, you're like, fuck, man. Fuck! What was it like a number of words you were meant to do, Mick, when you did that national novel writing month as a lot of target? Um, I have done, I've done the full one twice. That was fifty thousand words, Ow! and then and then also just for the crack, um, I did a, a kind of mini one myself, and I did thirty thousand. So that's what? How many a day? Like a thousand a day or something? If you're doing thirty, it's a thousand a day for a month, and if you're doing fifty, I think it works out as like a thousand eight hundred or something like that. What I found though, it's when you say like, right, I'll do like two thousand words a day. Does not compute a lot of time because like you're, you you can't just say right, that's two thousand words. I'm just going to leave it there. You know what I mean? It's uh, you make me a day like two thousand four hundred. You make it cohesive. It's just the flow, whatever the, whatever the flow takes you, you know? Yeah, and, and academic writing is very different. Like, for instance, oh, you you might need to be like, ah, right, I need to fucking bulk out this section on, I don't know, police power in the state. And you'll have a very fucking finite way you can go with that. Whereas if you're like, oh, I'm writing a wee novel to myself just to kind of hit a word count. Fuck, I'm stuck. Do you know what? I'm just going to fucking make up some shite today. Um, the main character loves pinball and um, was in an underground fucking pinball tournament where the losers died, blah, 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 blah. There's a thousand words. Like, uh, you can't uh, uh, your dissertation <laughs> with dream sequence. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was bits like... You've got to get all the references every single time you do a sentence, essentially. You've Is this a Har- Harvard referencing or whatever? Ah, it's murder. And uh, a lot of the time, like, because dissertations are so specialised, when you've got to like, reference it, usually your supervisor is the one that wrote half the papers, man. They escape. <laughs> they escape. Oh, fuck. Yeah, I hear misinterpretation there. They carry on. Speaking of escapes, we'll take you out of the world of academia for a bit and into the, the lovely escapist world of computer games. Going to take us back to the past to play the shitty games that suck ass. Uh, indeed, although I, I, I want to know if you played anything decent recently. Um, Andy, we'll, we'll start with you. Um, bam, 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 bam. 
you know what, man? Uh, I hooked up my N64. I think I showed you. I didn't know if it was going to work or not. It's been there since fucking 1990, 1990 canteen, we'll just say. And I tried to put it up to like a 40-inch telly. And, uh, man, I tell you what, it's just a pure big blurry heap of shit. <laughs> and I, I picked up a game called Mission Impossible for £3 with a CX. Don't really see N64 games that cheap, but now I know why it's that cheap because it's fucking <laughs> murder, man. It would tear the shirt right off you. So, did they get Tom Cruise's likeness for this one? Nah, did they fuck, man? It's a guy, <laughs> it's like a 1960 version. Ah, oh, right. But they keep mentioning you go to parties, right? Basically, you infiltrate Russia. Um, something about okay, usual Russia going mental or whatever. <laughs> Topical. And you go in uh, like KGB parties and that, and you've got to like put like bombs near the air ducts and all that, and you've got to like set up a big kind of mission. So you're setting up your gas bombs and your things. You actually sound you sound like a Russian soldier now, it's because you're they know the kind of uh, what you call it uh, when you're undercover and all that a spy. Uh-huh. But you end up to, like once you've done all the puzzles, you then execute all the stuff you've done, and it just it's like all the gas goes off and all that, and then do do do, no, it's golden eye. But um, I, I it's, it's a series of mini games, man. I suppose. It sounds like a good concept, like setting things up, you know, set, setting up the heist before you, you pull it off, like that, that could be good, I guess, it if it's just a series of shite minigames, maybe not. It is, it's got its flaws, like, if you're setting up a heist, right, it'll give you like one dart, and if you use that dart on the wrong person, that's you, you fucked the level, man, but it doesn't <laughs> restart the level, so you could do the whole level and you need that one dart at the end to not get a KGB guy blocking the lift or something like that. I mean, you're talking... Late 90s, presumably, this came out. Aye, aye, like 98 or something, aye. My wonder about this is, I don't know about you, but if I, if I was on the, whatever game company made this, Activision or whatever, if I was on that panel, I would just be like, ah, lads, let's make a Lazy Metal Gear Solid parody and call it a day. Or not parody. That's <laughs> <laughs> a bit Rip like that. <laughs> just have the whole thing be that bit where he's dodging through the, the laser beams. Like, yeah. Make a game out of that. That's pretty, much just be, pretty much just be Tempest for the Atari Jaguar. Like, that's in it, that's in it. Oh, brilliant. You're getting low, but there's a bit in Sonic Adventure 2 that does it better, man. Like, <laughs> uh, there's a level called Cannon's Core, where it gives you a bit of everything, and there's uh, two bits in it where you've got to do- dodge them all at high speeds, and it's pretty good, man. It's actually one of the better bits of uh, robotic levels, I think. But... Just make the game that. Aye, aye. I am. Um, I was fucking about on my PS3 the other day. That's the newest console that's in my house, by the way, a PlayStation 3. <laughs> I've been playing a, a Wizardry game. I'll get to that in a second. But I, I actually flicked on SA2 because I, I must have downloaded this during the lockdown at some point. So on the, the PlayStation, I think, oh, I'm a fucking Sonic Adventure 2. I booted it up and I had left myself on a Sonic level. And I was like, ah, what? I, I would have definitely thought I would have quit out during one of the robot sections, but it was a it was a pyramid Sonic level, which is oh, not yeah. very good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's, uh, that's probably the worst one. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can see why I quit during it now. <laughs> Both 2D versions and the 3D versions of the pyramid level are a bit of a pain in the arse. The Golem boss is actually fucking really good. Funny enough, that's going to come into play 
on my notes on Sonic 3D, actually. I thought that was one of the better bits of SA2. But I, I've been playing a game called Wizardry Labyrinth of Lost Souls, which is out on Steam and also came out in the PS3 because... <laughs> That's the most McClotty game I've ever heard. <laughs> no, um, the, the other one is probably Merso. That's Wizardry... Tale of the Forsaken Land. That's better. Aye, that's that's, 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 that's on the PS2. Labyrinth of Lost Souls because after playing the shitey Dungeons and Dragons game that we're playing today, I get kind of addicted. I, I get kind of addicted to it, and I was like, "Do you know what? I want to play something a bit just old school." Slow burn, not that well designed. Just when you fuck about in big dungeons and it's like first person and it scratched the itch pretty well I was kind of interested in that thing you were saying where it's not a JRPG or a western RPG because it's both like it started off as a series <laughs> in the west and then the west just abandoned it and Japanese developers like picked it up because it was really big in Japan this is I mean you've got You've got a whole history lesson on your hands when you go when you get into wizardry and and what they call J wizardry. But essentially, I they stopped making wizardry games after number eight, but Japanese people still liked them. And then a Japanese developer kept making wizardry after the fact, but they left in all the bits that they liked and then chopped out all this stuff that had been put in after like wizardry five that all the <laughs> Japanese people considered was a bunch of shite like aliens and spaceships <laughs> and things like that so when you play everyone after eight it just goes back to like this is elves and you're in a dungeon and that's it Nacunt goes to space like, it's quite strange looking at the fucking divergence in it I like the idea of this Japanese developer the, the only reason he actually wanted to make a sequel is because he just hated aliens that much <laughs> <laughs> he had a fucking like no what's if he doesn't have aliens I'll show them <laughs> Mick what about yourself? Have you been playing anything interesting? I did my toning out a few different things. Um, I'm still playing through Final Fantasy VII Remake. Um, I'm ah. just about to head in the Shimmer Building to rescue Eris, which I'm pretty much on the last mission, which is where the remake ends. Oh, oh I've got a spoiler for you that nobody knows about. She dies. Oh, you're fucking kidding me on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not playing this anymore. That's it. As well as that, um, I've been playing this game called Blasphemous, um, which I downloaded on Steam. Folk keep describing it as like, this is like Dark Souls, but it's in 2D. But what I would compare it more to, from my frame of reference, is just, it's just like Symphony of the Night, um, but a bit harder. Ah! Yeah, it's pretty good. The thing that kind of drew me to it wasn't the gameplay so much as the aesthetic. It's what I would call like Catholic Goth. Uh, Catholic golf. <laughs> yeah, by which I mean we all kind of grew up um, under Catholicism and um, went to chapel. If you take like the most kind of disturbing and uh, upsetting like imagery from the church, um, this game is just setting a world built out of that. That sounds like a slurry would hear at a fucking uh, Greenwood Golf Club. <laughs> <laughs> no, non-sectarian about it. Um, I want I want the record to be amended to the fact that a creepy Catholic uh, Metroidvania would actually be the most mick of the game you've ever heard of. <laughs> no one about wizards. Uh, Who'd be the final boss? <laughs> Who would be the final boss? Um, the blessed Saint John Ogilvy, the only Catholic <laughs> martyr 
from I'd, Scotland. I'd like to Post Reformation. I'd like to see the fire breathing hoor for the end of Revelations. It's all it's all in there. Yeah, all that <laughs> yes. stuff. Um, so. I mean, the, the the imagery is like a lot of like I guess crying statues, a lot of crucifixion, um, a lot of thorns piercing into people. It's hard to describe um, without having much, um, but without being fully immersed in um, Catholicism at a young age. But you'll know it when you see it. There's also a, a bit of like um, the developers are Spanish, so um, for the south of Spain. And if you're familiar, they have those really creepy processions and that at Lent. You know, what, I you know like the um, but the the music video for fucking Atmosphere by Joy Division. Yeah, where you've got like the guys in the big kind of scary robes and pointy hats and that. They look they look like KKK sort of cunts. Aye, so you've got a lot of that kind of imagery as well. It's just a good, really cool look. I'm kind of enjoying it for um, for all that. Um, and the gameplay is pretty solid as well. I've literally just fucked this onto my wish list. Um, <laughs> I, I quite fancy this. There's a few of the actual Castlevania series in the, you know, the kind of Symphony of the Night ones that I've had on the list to use for the the podcast for fucking yonk. The Game Boy Advance one's really good. Yeah, there's like three Game Boy Advance ones and I think they kind of are meant to have gone progressively better as they went on. Um, I had one for the DS as well that was pretty good. Aye, there's all the fucking crackers, the Iga Havanias, as they call them, the Koji Igarashis um, at the hell of those ones. But I would say that the most Catholic game of all um, is still anything from the Legacy of Cain series. That's the true Catholicism. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely as worthy um, as a, a Sunday Mass. <laughs> we will get back to it one day. Yeah, definitely. We'll do another reading, uh, a reading from the <laughs> again. Um, but I, I think it's mental that in Metroidvanias became like their own game. Like, are the teams that made um, both games, like um, Super Metroid and Symphony of the Night, are they even, like, do they even have each other's phone numbers? Do they know who, are they even for the same country? I would say um, the folk who made Symphony of the Night definitely played Super Metroid, but with the likes of modern ones now, what they call Metroidvanias... These developers don't necessarily have to have played either. There are probably a few articles you can read that will point out that maybe Metroidvania isn't even the best name for this sort of game because it's it's be evolved kind of beyond either of those. But yeah, there's there's all different kind of influences to the games now. Like a lot of them um, kind of have a lot of influence for Dark Souls these days, kind of like taking that back to the 2D, 2D realm um, and kind of like... Bringing that kind of back into the fold. Oh, aye. Um, my favourite is it's a it's a fucking good age now. It's practically fucking retro, um, but it's that uh, rogue legacy. You know where um, when your character dies, you play as your own descendant, but you've, you've you've unlocked all the powers and the gear from the previous generation, and that's how kind of progression works in that. Uh, so it's it's got the kind of roguelite vibe about it as well. I like that quite a lot. Aye, the one I'll get really into is Cave Story. Um, kind of Aye. started off as a kind of free indie game. Um, I went back and played that again recently, and I've got no idea how I got that far in it as a, a win because it's fucking really difficult. We've played games on this podcast that are newer than Cave Story. Cave Story, I think, first came out in like the early 2000s. Aye, yeah, I think I first played it when I was at uni. Anyway, fuck it, will we get into our first game of the evening proper? 
Yes. Ah, oh, why not? So Andy, I think it was yourself that picked for. I know it was. It feels like that long ago. We get we get these dished out. Um, <laughs> it wasn't even that long ago. Like it was even. It was probably two weeks ago. But I will. I, I think it's because that we had it in our heat that we were going to play. I don't know. We were going to record like last week or something. Maybe Aye. we've we've all got that thing where oh I've not played this game in ages. So let me get the notes out. <laughs> Bye, Andy. I think I think it was you. That, um, nominated Sonic 3D for myself. Um, why, why did you give us that, sir? Aye, so I remember this one back in the day. Uh, this was kind of this game came out kind of nowhere. It came out after uh, Sonic 3, and it was originally meant to be like a kind of swan song for a, a Mega Drive. It was like a big cheerio, we're fucking off to Saturn. But a lot of shit happened, man, and they, they couldn't get a Saturn game out, so. They end up tweaking this bad boy, which is like a cross between flicky and some sort of slidey, um, some sort of slidey isometric slide about simulator. <laughs> um, it's got Sonic characters in it, aye. and it's got a cracking and rolling on that, and the wee tune, and aye, I just thought I'd give you to see what you thought about it. Well, I'll tell you, the thing that was most notable to me after I put this on and you know, fucked about with it, played it for 20 minutes, was, this is the shite. <laughs> I, I was like, you know, you think uh, Sonic and the transition from 2D to 3D, and the fact that I believe this was they made by Sonic Team, this was actually oh. developed by Traveller's Tales. I'm sure, yeah. I, I, I had it in my head that this is going to have aged quite bad. I don't know if I'm going to necessarily have that fun with this. It's actually a pleasant enough wee playthrough. Once you you wrap your head around the basic mechanics of it, rather than being fucking Sonic the Hedgehog and running from fucking left to right, collecting rings, going in loop-de-loops, killing fucking badniks or whatever, as Andy says, you're in a an isometric sort of 3D plane. Uh, Sonic moves a bit slower, and the main mechanic of it is kind of exploration, and there's a bit of puzzle. One criticism that, that jumps out to you after the bat is, you know, if this isn't a game about going fast and raising hell, why the fuck is Sonic the Hedgehog in it? Because right. it's, it's no big Sonic game vibes. Aye, well, you only had to say Sonic's name and make a buck back in, man. And, like, this game, I, I, I'm way 100%. I just think that it was a culture shock. Uh, what the fuck is this? Why is Sonic got ice skates on? Why are we sliding about in an isometric plane? Oh my god, this looks like Donkey Kong Country. Just all these things flash through my head. Ah, yeah, I, 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 I wasn't really fond of it. I mean, I was fond of it to the point where I tried to steal it off my comic one night. I ended, getting, <laughs> I ended up getting grounded, man. I was about seven, eight. What age? Maybe, man, about t- no, about nine, maybe. And I thought, fuck it, man, I, I'm not finished, I'm not stopped finished playing this. And obviously I never had my morals and ethics yet. But I got grounded for about two weeks, man. And the game was shite. It wasn't even worth it, man. If it was for like, if it was for like Comic Zone or something, it would have been worth it, but... Nah, man. Well, we're, still, we're still pals after all these years, so I can't have been that angry at you. Nah, I don't even think you knew, man. You trust you Aye. But, eh, uh, all was well. Poets never get phoned, eh, uh, the... the it was pretty, it was alright. Should I get phoned for the game, to be honest? I actually found my, my Sega Mega Drive, uh, or my, my brother found it, up in my mum and dad's loft uh, a couple of years back, and Sonic 3D was still in it, which makes me think that Sonic 3D was like maybe the last Mega Drive game I played before finally putting it away in favour of the PlayStation. I think it might have been so, I, 
Um, he basically what is it the, the mechanics of you've got baddies dotted over the level who have wee birds in them just like the other games but they're called flickies which, yes. are, based, which are based on a now kind of early first wave Mega Drive game Flicky was an arcade game Flicky oh, right. was a a Sega arcade game for the 1980s where you you slide about in platforms you have to avoid baddies um, it kind of loops um, it's like a one screen type thing like bubble bubble or whatever and you need to collect all these different wee birds called flickies Aye. get into an exit and then you get to the next stage for whatever reason it was like do you know what the Sonic series really needs us to bring this back <laughs> I had a Mega Drive port you're right I think there was maybe even flicky on the Master System and Game Gear I would need to look that up yeah, a bit of a weird choice, like, because when you play, like, one of the um, Sonic 1, 2, and 3, um, and you you kill Obadnik, and the wee flicky comes out, the idea being that Robotnik has kidnapped them all and got the pilot, he's, he's robots, but for some reason with this game they thought, why don't we take that wee detail and just make that the main focus of the game? More confusingly is the birds and things like that, that will jump out of things in Sonic 1, 2, 3. Although there are also like squirrels, pigs, rabbits, um, rabbits either, all different sorts of wee animals. They are no flickies. After the, the impressive, flashy 3D intro to this game, there is also, and this is something actually I would pull it up about, low-key one of the things that Andy likes, and I think we all like, the storytelling in Sonic, which you get mostly in... Sonic 3 and Knuckles, which is done yeah. purely through show, don't tell. There is no text that appears on the screen that says Knuckles has been tricked into turning against you, but actually Knuckles is good and blah, blah, blah. That shit goes out the window with Sonic 3D. There is a there is a slideshow at the start that tells you that um, Dr. Robotnik's been researching and he's found out about the flickies and he's gone to the Flicky's world because he's found out that they're fucking... If he combines their power with the power of Chaos Emeralds, then he'll be all-powerful or some shite like that. Hence why <laughs> Sonic has followed him to the Flicky's world and now has to destroy, what is it, five robots in every chunk of level in order to release the subsequent amount of Flicky's so that Sonic can use their power. You don't need any of that, Parker. You could have got that off the context. Yeah, Aye. See, that's, that's just the thing. Like, this time, like, Sonic Team, who oversaw the project, whatever that means, were smoking the dust at this point, right? Because, <laughs> because they, 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 they were all had their heads in. They probably looked at this game going, I need other wee man patting them on the head. Why were they were all trying to make that game that never came out? Because it was like, too advanced for the Sega Saturn. So, what you've got here is Traveller's Tales, like, half giving a fuck, and Sega going, I just throw this and that into it. I mean, I'm looking here at uh, who actually made uh, the models, 3D models and that. It looks like guys you would meet at a pub. Neil Allen, David Burton, Molly Thompson. Who's <laughs> <laughs> like a five or six team? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, what happened to Takao Miyoshi? Nee Howard Rawson. <laughs> nee, oh fuck yeah. Nee Howard Rawson, as far as I can see. It's quite funny, you know, like, you know how you've got, like, um, Liam Hemsworth and I think Chris Hemsworth, the two kind of beautiful, fucking stunning, godlike uh, looking actors, and then their weird middle brother. Like, this is kind of like that, that with Sonic, where you've got American Sonic, Japanese Sonic, and then weird British Sonic <laughs> somewhere in between. So, Andy, I think it was yourself on the group chat. That um, you you made an offhand comment 
where you, you referred to Sonic 3D and speculated on whether or no there might have been some dinosaur planet shit that went on here. Ah. Um, and I, I genuinely think that might have been the case somewhere down the line. Uh, you, you'll have to forgive me, I didn't do my due diligence and research that very well. <laughs> but it, it feels like to me that Traveller's Tales had a half-finished game with somebody else in it. And then Sega went along and went, oh, here, this is good, fucking 3D tech. This is this is what we are looking for. This is the next step forward. Like, much more we sling you so that you can make this Sonic the Hedgehog. Like. It's, it's, it's weird because it was put forward as a mainline Sonic game, whatever the fuck that means. Like, you still have arguments these days in very, very sad communities. Uh, whether or not this is a mainline Sonic game, but I said, fuck. Sonic games suffer for this a lot, right? It's got great packaging, right? The, the box for this game is quite legendary, man. Sonic the comic, what, remember, the, I think it was a Hunter issue, Mick? Had that big fucking picture of the cover, and it was class. So, like, yeah, he, was he, coming out, yeah that, that would have been coming out around the same time, 1996, I think. Uh, it was like an evolution of the Sonic and Knuckles one, it was like a big CGI Sonic Kid, man, it looked cool as fuck. You had that. And yeah, that was in the spirit of a Sonic game. And then you had, like, John Sinu and uh, Richard Jack on the Saturnverse and hammering out all these cracking new generation Sonic tunes. But then, the actual game, man, is like Frankenstein's monster, but his legs not sold on yet. Like, in the modern kind of parlance, they would probably say, this is like a spin-off. This is like Sonic and the, the legend of the whatever. And it's maybe a different team and, like, everyone... It's all in the open. Everyone understands like this is something a bit different. Like you don't have you don't have to play this one really if you don't want it. The marketing was like this is this is Sonic Four essentially. I would maybe push back on the, the notion of it being like they've just shoved Sonic in at the last minute here because I think the graphical style like it does kind of look you've got the kind of checkerboard effect and the three D um, looking kind of foliage and all that. You get springs. You get loop the loops like. There is kind of elements of of the the two D Sonics in there. It's just aye, when it Sonic Labyrinth. Aye, <laughs> well, it's just it's just when it comes to actually playing it that it kind of falls apart. It looks in terms of what it most looks like, and this is I can just write this off because you boys are Sonic kids. A game called Sega Sonic the Hedgehog, the trackball track hang with with Mighty the Armadillo and fucking We the Squirrel. Rain a squirrel. I can always can always count on you to get them ones, Andy. Um, I, 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 my takeaway from this is that they didn't really fuck up. Um, it's a playable game. The tunes are good. It's not a fucking horrible experience. It's alright. I quite like how it looks. Like I think graphically, presentation and stuff is great. The gameplay I can kind of take or leave, but I wouldn't say it's a bad game. It's quite well put together. I've probably mentioned before that the programmer John Burton, he's got his own YouTube channel where he kind of goes through some of the stuff that Traveller's Tales made and some of it's like some of the stuff they've done is quite impressive. Like they've got some pretty cool sort of um, effects out of the um, the Sega Mega Drive that other people didn't get. This is the the Mickey Mania guy in it with the, the moose chase spit and all that. Yeah. Aye, aye. Did you just play the the PC version of this? Basically, there was a few PC games that get released for it late. Mega Drive to like um, kind of early Sega Saturn, um, and this uh, company that um, published these games was called Explosive, and they they brought out a version of Sonic R and they brought out a version of this, but they always had a problem, but they never came any music, man. 
I first played this um, like at the actual time. My wee cousin had it, um, and I remember I'm taking it round to her house one day to put it in the Sega. Um, and he was <laughs> talking about you trying to nick it for McCormick, Andy. I remember him being weirdly sort of possessive of it, like staring over your shoulder while you played it, so that you can nick it type thing. <laughs> it, it did feel like a big deal, man. I think it came with that chip in it, cart, didn't it, so it could run probably. It, just, it had to have like, stabilisers or have like, a crutch so it could I'm, run on a Mega Drive. I'm pretty sure we, obviously being Sega kids, never having seen fucking Starwing or anything like that at the time, I remember thinking, fucking hell, man, this is the future. Check these graphics out. Whereas it's it's kind of not even really three D. It was it was a trick, really. Sonic isometric doesn't roll off the tongue in the same way. So <laughs> see, Mega Drive. Uh, this was like the best a game can look on a Mega Drive, I suppose. But I'm, I'm talking about like on a pure like fundamental coding level design thing because it doesn't look the best game. But I think like, for a pure like, technical standpoint, Mick, if I'm talking shit, come in. Um, but for a technical <laughs> standpoint, it's like. The best they can do, I'd imagine, is that right? It's technically impressive looking. I would think it's a it's a matter of personal preference whether you prefer the the sprites or the kind of three D pre rendered um, stuff. Um, I think we 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 probably all agree that like sprites have aged better um, over time than your kind of the fucking the venom that you seem to spit out whenever you mentioned Donkey Kong Country. A perfectly fine game. <laughs> but <laughs> And by the way, the tunes are good. Um, yeah. Um, oh, a few bars. McCormick, uh, dealer's choice. Um, <laughs> if you want to, if you want to throw in an example of the tunes in Sonic 3D, and the intro music's pretty good. Uh, Aye. I, I yeah, like the that, music. that was the one that Andy just acapellaed, so I'm going to throw <laughs> that one in. Special stages, right? For all the the fucking presentation on this bad boy, the special stages look worse than the ones in Sonic Two. Aye, aye, aye. yeah. And they they play a wee bit worse as well. You're on a very narrow platform. Sonic has to keep running ahead. I yeah. You have to dodge things, and, and it's pretty easy as well. I, I fucking spoiler alert. I wasn't very fucking good at this, and I managed to get uh, five chaos emeralds. I got to. Maybe the fucking second act of the third zone or something like that. Another strange thing about the special stages in this, right, is that why do you need to tap Tails and Knuckles, your best pals, money to get to play the special stage? <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. I don't, I don't understand it. I thought they were meant to all be in the same team, fucking saving the planet, on there, not until I fucking get the bag. Aye, but I think that was not was his tools because he defects that guy, and they felt sorry for him. Because Robotnik was a bit of order, wasn't he? Doing fucking smashing up his gaff and all that. So, what do you mean, like, because he's like not he's not got a job anymore because Robotnik used to. Oh no no no! He's do you ever watch the Sopranos? He's got a a no show job now, so he just needs to kind of sit with a paper on a building site. (laughs) (laughs) Also, um, for what it's worth, uh, if I had to throw a Sopranos comparison for Knuckles, it would be uh, Furio. Oh, yes. Aye, so you'll be playing through a stage in Sonic 3D, exploring, checking out all the wee nooks and crannies, 
to kill the baddies, the badniks, collect another flicky. Once you've got your five flickies, you run over to a floating disc, fire them in there, and it opens a portal to the next bit of the level. That's it. That's how you. That, that's how it progresses. While you're doing this, in every level, you can find tails and knuckles. They are hidden at different bits. As it goes on, you need to, you need to use a loaf a wee bit more. Maybe break away a false wall or whatever to find tails or knuckles. As you're playing through the first couple of stages, though, to introduce you to the concept, you will just naturally come across either one of them, and you think, "Oh fuck, there's there's tails, there's knuckles." You know what I mean? I'm I'm a Sonic fan. I, I know what these guys are all about. You run up to them, and the only feedback you get out of them is that they'll take all your rings off you, um, <laughs> unless you've got unless you've got fifty. They'll not even send you to a special stage. So you go, oh, there's ah. tails. You'll walk up, you'll go like that, right? A tails tax buffed, whip fucking 40 rings off you and send you on your way. You've got to pay for tails' heavy crystal meth habit at this point. It's, it's not communicated very well. It ended up making me feel quite bitter towards tails and knuckles because also I mistakenly, after you've done a special stage, knuckles and tails will keep stoning there like that, all right, my man. <laughs> and I, I thought, all right, well... I'll go and collect another 50 rings, come back to Knuckles and see if he lets me go, go in and get another emerald. No, it just takes the rings off you, but you don't get another level. <laughs> just, <laughs> just, just goes, ah, cheers, you fucking glaikit cunt. That's I'm going in my, my fucking... I, I'm a ghost of Davy Crockett. <laughs> I'm fucking <laughs> in my um, So, a, a bit strange on that front. The, the last thing that I would talk about as being notable for me in Sonic 3D. And I'm mostly talking about things I liked. I'm, I'm, I'm giving this game a wee bit of a pass. The boss fights, right, uh, they're too easy for the most part. They look cool, though. They look quite... Yeah, they I always thought they looked cool. I liked. I always liked how the glass and robotics machine would look crack as you, as you jumped on them. Aye. It gets, Aye. It gets progressively more damaged. I, I have, I've written down that I like this as well. They, they look really cool. They're... They feel quite satisfying. Eh, Andy talks about when you hit Robotnik, you want that satisfying crunch. You get, uh, you get that, um, and again, you, you start cracking his screen progressively more and more. As we were talking about in the intro bit, actually, uh, the Egg Golem boss, Robotnik being in a giant mech that you have to jump on to like, the arm of and then jump on his head after that, is in Sonic 3D. The second boss in Sonic 3D, I think, Robotnik's facing you straight on, and he's in this big fuck-off robot with big arms that try and crush you. So you dodge the arm, you jump onto it, and then for that, he'll lift it up, and you can go in and then, and then bash his screen. To me, it showed maybe a, a link in the fucking evolutionary line between the kind of bosses that you fight, maybe, in like a Sonic 2... <laughs> Sonic Adventure 2, uh, or Sonic Adventure at their best. Um, there are some pretty shite bosses in the games as well. <laughs> Here's what I'll say about Sonic 3D, right? I think they tried, and I think it hasn't aged that badly. If you look at your, your Sonic spin-off games, this isn't the worst one on the Mega Drive. You're gonna, you're gonna go after my... That would be spin ball. That was chaotic. Sorry, right, I thought you were gonna go after my beloved... <laughs> No, um, <laughs> I, I don't. I don't even really count chaotic because they can't hold it. You know, it, it wasn't really part of the scene. Beaties, <laughs> beaties up in Clyde Bank was like the only count I know it. <laughs> you were like um, when he's he's going to see the guitar in Wayne's World. That was like <laughs> no stereo. She, she will be mine. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> Bye, um, Sonic Three D. 
I mean, if you're a Sonic fan and you haven't looked at it for a while, it's worth going back and checking out. I dare say if you're a, a big nerd for this stuff, check out your man's uh, YouTube channel as well that McCormick was talking about. I mean, or, or if you played this as a way and you got a bit of nostalgia for it, it, it honestly holds up pretty well. Uh, I didn't have a bad time playing it. John Burton's got that director's cut that he made, um, which might be good if you're revisiting it or playing it for the first time. <laughs> director's cut. In 2017, the, the original creator of it, the original programmer, he has always been stuck on his mind, like, I could have done better with this game, like, there's a, the things oh, that I could have done if I had the time and the, and the money, and he's back and he's made like, a director's cut, so he made Sonic faster, you can get supersonic if you get all the emeralds, um, there's like, a level select and a kind of like... Um, Section in between levels and stuff, so I added a bit more to it, so that might be a shout. It's I've hard. not played it, I've not played it myself, but maybe a shout if you're going back to it. Cool. I, I would be worth checking out maybe um, something right away there that, that raises an alarm with me is Sonic doesn't need to be faster in this. Any, any, bits, <laughs> any bits with actual fucking platforming are fucking hard enough to get through without <laughs> fucking <laughs> Sonic sliding all over the place. This game is adapted in both comics uh, Sonic <laughs> Comic Fleetway, Mick's favourite. And also uh, the Archie comics, and the story was actually written by the the world famous and well revered Ken Penders. Oh, oh no, some guy. <laughs> and uh, you can tell the difference between a British comic and an American comic because all the flights are wearing short skirts and that. It's, fucking, <laughs> it's, uh, it's not good. It's not good, man. Someone was saying like there's going to be like potential legal fireworks with the the next Sonic film. Um, because Ken Penders apparently has just like a copyright on the concept of an echidna. Oh, no, 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 no. no. <laughs> no fucking no chance. Um, he's tried that stuff in the courts before, saying he owns knuckles and all that. He's, he gets slapped about every time. <laughs> on that bombshell, let's move ourselves on to Dungeons and Dragons, Warriors of the Eternal Sun. I picked this for McCormick. It had been long threatened there's not a lot of fucking RPGs on the Mega Drive kinda and this is an attempt at making something a wee bit more complex I would say it's also one that I've got a wee bit of personal history with I remember when I was a a, a young when this was in my, my wee pile when do you know when you I, I, I don't even know what age I would have been when we first got a Sega maybe like 5 or something like that this but, game would have been incomprehensible to a five-year-old. Well, the the experience I had with this was watching my dad play it, mm. and there's not a fucking mission he knew what was going on either. But um, I just remember seeing him kind of exploring the map and going, "Oh, you know what's up here or whatever." Everything's a wee bit kind of alien and strange. Um, the game doesn't really tell you too much, and I remember being scared because the characters died. And it went, bam, bam. It oh, played no. this horrible noise. And then, <laughs> and then their, their portrait would be greyed out. And obviously he didn't know that you could go to the chapel and, and get them revived. So I just thought, oh, they, they, st- they stayed dead forever. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a, a rambling way of saying, it's one I've been meaning to get on the podcast for a while. Uh, McCormick, what did you think? <laughs> <laughs> um, I've got a few thoughts. <laughs> um, so this game opens very evocatively and it tells you that the Goblin Wars have lasted for 13 moons. Oh, that's a fucking, that's a sentence, that's a sentence that will keep the, uh, will I, pique your interest right there. Is that, is that not like a Berlin thing where they go, why won't we in for Derek? I'm in for 14 moon this week, this time, man. <laughs> so, so it means like the moon cycle or something. 
might just mean month. I don't know. I, I think it's I think it's month, but um, <laughs> the intro of this game it's fucking epic. Like it's, it really sets you up to think, oh man, I'm fucking I'm playing something pure cracker here. You know, there's this pure, it's like a fucking it's like a Lord of the Rings movie or something like that. Yeah, the, gob- the Goblin Wars does sound like a fucking a hell of a time, man. That's that sounds like a, a, a bad, bad time. The Goblin Wars. Hey, Sam, I promised Mick um, some research on the Goblin Wars. So not a lot of people know this. I've actually got a PhD in Goblin Studies. Right. Um, so my thesis, um, I actually looked at the Goblin Wars through the lens. Um, you were a you were a consultant on all the the Harry Potter films, weren't you? You're in a bit of hot water. These no, days. no, that was. Um, <laughs> That was one of my lectures. We don't really talk about him anymore. Um, so my focus was was more on um, looking at um, these wars through the lens of critical goblin theory. Um, um, it kind of attempts to re-examine history with a, a recognition of the the anti-goblin bias that was present in a lot of the sources at the time. Um, so in the goblin language, um, the conflict is, is not referred to as the, the goblin wars. Of course, um, it's usually known as like the Great Patriotic War. Um, or the War of Human Aggression. The Holocaust. <laughs> so, the, I mean, most contemporary sources, uh, Barrett-Gate sources, um, they, they'll claim that um, <laughs> the inciting incident of the war was a, an attack by an evil red dragon called Nalavara. But the scholarly consensus was that these were actually uh, false flag operations performed by humans. Did the goblins, were the goblins resident here? And uh, the humans tried to... Like... Encroach on them, their settlements and shit. Yeah, the, the the goblins had had lived there for for many hundreds of years. Um, so we've got a we've got an Israel Palestine situation. <laughs> is, is this what we're saying with the, the goblin world? Yeah, Duke had a barrack. Um, he he'd always kind of lusted after the very strategic um, copper and iron mines um, on goblin land. And uh, human human law didn't actually recognise goblin sovereignty over them. So yeah, he, oh, he invaded he invaded the lands and the goblins kind of reacted with a campaign of, of guerrilla warfare. Um, which which kinda of leads to the you know the, the opening of, of, of this game where the um, um the goblins are at the gates of the human settlement and um, just as they're about to to break into the throne room of Hector Barrack, the all of a sudden the, the heavens open up, a giant portal appears, um and it consumes all the all the human and goblin life, um, transports them to a um to a, a strange and uh, mysterious land. Although the intro says this, right? I don't see the intro says that goblin and human alike were sucked in at the portal, and the game itself don't see a single fucking goblin. <laughs> all, the goblins, all the goblins are gone, which which makes me um and 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 many um. Kind of goblin scholars um, have, have kind of gone led to the consensus that it was actually a, 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 a kind of a foul play on the human side. <laughs> so, um, the go- I mean, so, so goblin literature just kind of stopped suddenly and there was nothing else after it? Yeah, it was a, it was a bit of a, a goblin dark age um, for a few I thousand mean, years. It was pretty tragic. I mean, I, I can actually answer this. Um, I, think, <laughs> I, I think it is a, a mistake in the intro and the reason the goblins don't actually get taken into the cavern with the eternal sun is because the well what happens is when you get to the end of the game you find out a god called Ka the preserver has actually whipped uh, the human castle and all the inhabitants out of there 
because they were about to get wiped out by the goblins. They were there was going to be none of them left. This god takes out um, species and kingdoms throughout history, which are about to fucking go extinct, and puts them in a kind of hourglass, a, a, a snow globe called the Hollow World, so as that he can preserve them. So there are all these like dinosaurs and things like that running about in the Hollow World. Oh, so, right, okay. Because the goblins were going to win that war, Car the Preserver did not suck them up to the same extent they took the, the humans, whereas the goblins must have mostly just stayed behind. Car wants to pre- preserve a homeland for um, a certain type of, of people, this is what you're saying? Well, I mean, Car did what... Oh God, we're getting into, we're getting into we're getting into some we're getting into some political water here. I think that's enough critical goblin theory for one day. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I I don't know I don't know how much of that's going to be usable, but um, yeah, you get transferred to this fucking cavern place under an eternal sun, and then it's basically just make your party and you get sent out in a quest in it. Hi, so. The first thing you've got to do um, in this game, as with many other, I guess, D&D-based RPGs, uh, computer RPGs, is create your own party. Um, And also, like some of these ones, particularly the early ones, um, this is the first place where you can go quite seriously wrong in this game. Yes. Um, This is maybe going to be another, apart from, like, various kind of, like... um, political questions about goblins um, another theme of this review is maybe about how some of these things in D&D particularly the early versions of D&D kind of don't work very well um, in computer game contexts um, so if if you play, we, we've all played D&D I'm sure some of the listeners have as well um, you've got to create your character with a, a series of stats more modern iterations would usually have you like assigning points um, to each of your skills like your um, strength, wisdom, intelligence etc but the old school way of doing this would be to to roll dice you roll dice for each, for each of these stats basically and then you've got to um, pick the ones that you're most happy with so you've got to do that with your with your whole party um, and I, I kind of knew what I was doing at this point I knew that I needed to create uh, everyone with like decent dexterity my warrior had to have some good str- um, strength my my magic user had to have intelligence and stuff, um, but you can you can make an arse of this um, quite, oh, quite I, easily, I, I think. Particularly because I mean, yeah, your your experience of the early game of this is that you're going to miss like nine times out of ten when you try to hit anything. Um, <laughs> so if you look at a guide on how to build your characters, it's like. Yeah, just keep rolling until you get 18 dexterity, 18 strength, 18... Like, you have to just sit and go re-roll, 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 re-roll for fucking ages until you get a character that's even fucking half-decent in yeah, any, anything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, is this game is this game one of them... Uh, now you had like, RPGs that were dungeon crawlers, like, very specific. The case would always have a boy with a sword. The, the game would be like a 3D perspective, and you would walk through like, a... A labyrinth or a maze coming across slimers and stuff. It's got a bit of that. It's got more in common with that than like a, a Final Fantasy or something. So, as we said, your that this kind of god for for reasons unknown to you at the time has like warped your castle and everyone that lives in it into this mysterious land full of monsters and weird races and stuff. So you get this castle and that's plunked right in the middle of the map. And your king gives you like a quest, tells you we need to find allies in this new strange world. So uh, go here and go here and go here. 
So you've always got this castle that you're going back to as your home base, um, but you're you're heading out into the world and you're kind of getting into random battles. So you've got kind of two battle systems. One of them is like a grid-based one, and then also when you're in a dungeon, the game becomes first person, um, like you're, you're very very old school sort of like first person sort of dungeon crawling, um, where you've got to look at a map all the time. The strange thing about the first-person dungeon crawling bits is, so when you're on the overworld, it's uh, turn-based, right? You're like, okay, my thief's getting a turn, now my dwarf's getting a turn, right, now that baddie's got a turn, that baddie's got a turn. When you're in the dungeon bits, you can just rapid-fire. You don't need to wait for a, a turn. If you just click a button fast enough, your guys will just swing their swords and kill <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, so it kind of turns into like a really shy version of Wolfenstein 3D when you're in the dungeon. Because, like, <laughs> when you press attack, it just kind of loops through your four party members doing whatever their attack is, whatever weapon they've got equipped at the time. So the vast majority of baddies, no matter what level you're, just because you, literally you're pressing the button faster than they're attacking, you can kill them. Um, so that's kind of weirdly uh, imbalanced. But the first kind of battles you'll face um, are these kind of ones based on a, a 2D grid. I, I don't mind them in, in principle. Like it's like like a game like a, a Shining Force or something where you kind of can move a certain distance around the grid. There's a bit of tactics involved. Like you, you want to place your your stronger, more heavily armoured guys um, in the front to kind of block um, enemies and get your magic users behind them, long range guys behind them and pelting things at them. But the, the problem you run into, and this is a problem, nothing to do with the game developers, but this is purely the maths of Dungeons and Dragons, uh, basic yeah. Dungeons and Dragons. You miss and you miss and you miss every time you try and attack. So obviously it's doing that thing where behind the scenes it's rolling a dice Aye. and adding on your modifiers to see if you hit it or no. I think over the years, developers have kind of discovered that that doesn't necessarily translate to a very enjoyable gaming experience. It's like, um, have you ever tried to go back and play Morrowind? Ah, yeah. I've, seen, I've seen videos of it. It's even more striking in, in Morrowind because you think you're playing like a first-person shooter almost and it looks like you can see your guy swinging a sword in 3D at the enemy and then it's like miss. How, how the miss yeah. is right there? So you think you've got this kinetic experience where I press the trigger, he swings his arm with the sword and it should just connect with the enemy. But no, it rolls a dice and then that tells you whether or not you've hit the fucking bat. <laughs> By the way, Morrowind is a fucking uh, stone-cold fucking masterpiece. But, it, it, you know... It, I think a new player would automatically play it and be like, this is bullshit. What is this nonsense? Well, yeah. it's, that, it's that old kind of thing, isn't it, where we really see the beauty in it because we know that we've played it and had a great time with it, but it might not hold up as well as a Skyrim or a, a Fallout, you know? I mean, there are examples of it done better than this. This is closer to something like, as McCormick was saying, like Dungeons & Dragons computer games that... They were really big on the computer, like there was yeah, a... these gold box games. The gold box games. So mm. role-playing games used to be primarily a thing that was done as a very niche hobby on the computer, and it would have been people playing that. But as they got more mainstream, there have been examples like uh, Knights of the Old Republic, right? That's... You don't even feel like you're playing Dungeons & Dragons, but fucking guess what? You are. Oh, that's a beautiful behind the scene, <laughs> behind, behind the scenes in that, it's fucking rolling dice to see if you hit and stuff. But it's... I don't know if it's done to presentation or what it's done to, but in Knights of the Old Republic, it doesn't feel like a load of nonsense. 
Yeah, I, I can kind of see uh, what they were getting yeah. at. Like, if you ma- if you imagine it as like a real sword fight or something, if you're swinging a sword at somebody, it's only, it only takes one good shot to, to kill somebody, but the rest you're going to get parried or hitting off your, your man's shield or something like that. So if you're playing D&D and you're rolling dice and your dungeon master's telling you this kind of class story about like, what's happening during this fight, you'll get quite invested in it and like it'll be, it'll be really, really meaningful when you kill this baddie. But what it translates to when you're playing it on the on the computer is just like I'm missing and I'm missing and I'm, I'm missing again, and it also makes the battles feel a bit very random and unfair because it's just a kind of roll of the dice as to whether you kill this ogre with your sword or he takes your head off. Like it doesn't feel like oh I'm stronger than him, he's stronger than me. It just it just kind of feels like the luck of the draw. Also. I don't necessarily think this is wrong, but I think it's something that could have been done better, where, as you were saying, in the centre of the map, you've got that castle where your people are, and that is where you constantly go back to to buy supplies, new weapons and that, and heal up. But sometimes it's a fucking mission having to backtrack all the way, revive your party members, heal up, or you might die on your way there. It's a fucking ball ache. I don't know if if you could have maybe got a a teleport spell or something like that on the wizard, um, just as a for instance. um, I don't necessarily think having a same place that you return to throughout the game is necessarily a bad thing, like thematically, or even from a gameplay perspective, but I, I think it was handled not great. The thing that was annoying me, just j- just from my experience playing this in the first um, few hours, you realise you've got to do a lot of grinding, as you do in RPGs, which isn't I don't really mind, but it was the combination of like missing all the time when you're fighting, dying quite arbitrarily, and then having to hoof it all the way back to your castle, heal up, or, or resting, which like is also, I don't mind that concept, being able to fall asleep, um, and regenerate your MP and HP and stuff, but you have to press about 15 different buttons um, every time you want to do that, which is after usually after like, every two battles or so. It's like, I, I want to rest, right? Do you want to memorise your spells? Yes. Do you, want to memorise the, do you want to memorise the same spells as last time or different spells? Right. No, the same. Sp- I, I don't know. Just <laughs> let me, let me, give me my hit points back. I'm glad you gave me the option, but I'd rather just let fast forward through this, please. <laughs> so, you, so you've got that to contend with. And I mean, that I would, I, I could have, I could have stomached that. But then I got to the, the 3D dungeons as I'm talking about. And maybe personal preference, it might be a kind of early clunkiness of this system, but I just don't go on with these. I'm fine with 3D space. Like my spatial awareness isn't isn't that bad. I love fucking Half Life. I love first person shooters, but with these things, that it's there's nothing really distinguishing between one part of a level or another. Like it's a very just maze maze like kind of um, segment you're going through. Um, you're getting yourself carpal tunnel from from <laughs> pressing that button so much to fucking keep pelting enemies with stones. I didn't get to that either because weirdly the the best weapon in this game is always a slingshot or a bow. Um, you might as well use that instead of your giant sword or axe. Fuck knows why. Another weird math thing. You're walking through these kind of maze-like dungeons. You've always got to flick back to the the map. Yeah. So after I kind of went through my first really really long kind of maze-like uh, dungeon, far too many baddies in it, um, fake walls, um, there's fake walls, <laughs> fake walls, so you've got to check every wall to make sure it's not a fake wall um, that you can walk through, 
Yeah, but the time I, I got through one of those dungeons um, to the first kind of area on the other side, realised that I had to make my way back through that dungeon um, where all the enemies respawned. I was just kind of like, fuck this, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> the elf. So this is um, basic Dungeons and Dragons rather than... Oh, right. See, a lot of th- when we played at Dungeons and Dragons, we were actually playing advanced Dungeons and Dragons, which there was a copyright dispute between the two guys that made Dungeons and Dragons, and one <laughs> of them went, well, fuck you, this is advanced Dungeons and Dragons, this is a different product. So we, we, just, we just call it D&D, but actually it's AD&D. But no, th- this is literally like... The, bear, the the OG shit, the original yeah, rule from like set. the 1970s so, or something. It's got a few weird quirks, yeah. Aye. So, um, elves, dwarfs, and halflings, instead of picking, you know, saying, oh, I'm going to be an elf, but I want to make my elf a wizard, mm. or, you know, I want to have a dwarf, but I want to make my dwarf a thief. They're just three distinct classes. So you've got, like, fighter, cleric, elf as like classes but they all kind of map to like the fellowship of the ring if you think about it like oh there's legolas you know that's a class of itself there's gimli um rather than yeah. like rather than there being different types of dwarfs and that so yeah you make up your you make up your party um, um out, out of those kind of archetypes i never went for any of the the non-human ones because I, I i'm not a big fan of hybrid classes I just kind of went for the Straight up, um, actually, no, I did. Sorry, tell a lie. I had a, a dwarf, fighter, um, cleric, and magic user. So, yeah. if you take an elf while you're walking about, the elf you'll get a message because at the bottom there's a kind of text parser and it'll be like, Oh, the, the elf noticed a hidden war. <laughs> like, oh, right. The only way you can fucking tell if there's hidden wars there is if you put a fucking elf in your party, but I didn't. So I had to just keep running into wars <laughs> to see if there was a fucking secret room behind them. <laughs> that's for Lord of the Rings as well. What do your elf eyes see? Um, <laughs> yeah, I've been a bit hard in this game. It's not... I don't think it's the developer's fault because they're we're very kind of hamstrung by the fact that it's quite um, strongly tied to D&D rules. And there's, there's kind of good ways and bad ways sometimes of adapting those rules. But at the end of the day... If you were making a D&D based game at the time, there was an expectation that if I've played the role playing game on the pen and paper, then the game is going to have pretty much the same rules. Um, and sometimes that kind of doesn't work. It's mm. like uh, when fucking Yuji Hori was sitting down to make fucking Dragon Quest, right? And his heat, he was saying, well, I'm making Dungeons and Dragons, but on a home console. But it's a fucking completely different approach. Um, he said, no, this needs to be streamlined like fuck. But I think for Western RPG fans who played the likes of the Gold Box, if you'd have put a Dungeons & Dragons game out and it played like Dragon Quest, they would have been like, this is for babies. This is too easy. I think this game, for me, it becomes borderline playable. <laughs> if you if if you get your party to around level four or five, right, and then you can start exploring and have a bit of fun with it. But mm. my god, I, it it probably isn't worth trying to get there. Um, it's, it's, that's actually, I think that's the key actually, because if you remember any time that we've played Dungeons and Dragons, you were like, as dungeon master, just start your characters level three, gets me a friend that way. You've got my <laughs> yeah. abilities, and that that I think is the key, and like. But especially these early versions of the game, you know, there's there's maths and stuff that is that is quite weird and unsatisfying. 
But the, the beauty of Dungeons and Dragons and tabletop role playing games is that it's played with a dungeon master who has some leverage over the rules and can chuck out rules that he doesn't like or he can fudge things or just kind of like scrap things that are only fun. There's always somebody saying, if this isn't fun, I can change it. At least the way I've played it, I'm sure there's some folk that are very by the book. For for example, like you you tell your party of adventurers, right, the evil wizard that's been terrorising the village is just up there, so you need to go into your tower and kill him. You're not going to say to all these folk that you've been trying to get together for weeks to play D&D, well, actually, you're not high enough level, so you've got to kill hogs no. <laughs> for the next five hours, <laughs> and you've got to be rolling the dice for every fucking battle and missing all the time. <laughs> you're Everyone's like, no, fuck, I'm, I'm going home, this is shit. Screw you, guys. One thing that I will say that I like about this is the storytelling. I do like that as well, yeah. There's an interesting kind of, kind of concept here. You, you get sent out to find allies, obviously, as Mick said, and you will find other fucking humanoid, intelligent races like dotted about the valley. Again, you could read some stuff about fucking colonization and imperialism into this, but yeah, you, you go and find like the beast men, for instance, and the beast men just go fucking mental, attack you on sight. They live under a bridge by any chance. <laughs> no, they'll. <laughs> They're not allowed to live within 500 metres of school. <laughs> Was Louis Farouk in a documentary? They live in a series of caverns. Um, so you come back and you say to the Duke, I sorry, big man, try to make an, an alliance with the beast men, but we killed them all. He sends you again. You, you go and kill some guys who are like Aztecs. You go and kill all the lizard men. Try to make pals with everybody. But while you're doing this, and again, this is why I think it's no too bad a concept that you need to come back to the castle, come back to the castle, come back to the castle. Because after these story beats, when you go, you try and fail to make allies, you start to notice something quite strange happening in the castle, which is when you talk to every cunt, they start going fucking mental. Like, they accuse you of trying to fucking steal for them, or, you know, they're all fucking in pure despair. Going, oh fuck it, you'll never find allies. Like we should all just kill ourselves and things like that. It's like, quite subtle, <laughs> like you don't, really, you don't even notice it, and then all of a sudden the shopkeeper's like, "Don't fucking steal from me!" Like I've seen you, I've seen you skulking about here. <laughs> like, <laughs> what's that all about? And then every time you back to the king or the duke, um, he's increasingly frustrated. And you're like, "What? What's, what's going on here? Why are you not making us any allies? Like you're useless, get out of my sight." He likes us, son. He likes us. After you do the big Aztec fucking temple section, when you go back to the Duke, you can actually get yourself kicked out of the castle permanently until like the you've done the next section. If you talk to the Duke, um, he gets pissed off at you and he makes the guards fucking bar you for down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're saying like to what? Towards the, the the end, like you talk to some of the villagers and they just the text box just says ah. Aye, they. They start screaming in that, or like, I saying like, like, I was like, I'll tell you an 80. They start screaming, or, or shouting out like bizarre memes and things like that. It, it's very strange. It's quite a cool concept, um, and yeah, it's kind of revealed to you like, the, the ultimate cause of this, like towards the end of the game, but yeah, it's, it's, it's weirdly kind of like Lovecraftian, sort of like creeping horror. It is um, the... 
there is a, a a great old one underground called the burrower and it makes fucking races become fucking gradually more fucking hostile and you know give into their fucking kind of animal instincts so when it, whenever you bumped into like the lizard men or the aztec folk oh, they've been subjected they've been subjected to it for years but your mob are only just kind of starting to go down that path but obviously yeah there is literal deus ex machina at the end and you you summon a dinosaur god to kill it and all is well um <laughs> yeah i mean i like it it's a, it's a good wee change of pace from your usual like go to a town get a quest go to another town sort of thing i like that um something you've, you've you've seen in kind of later games like your personas and stuff like that there's, there's a kind of yeah. hub town west where it progresses there so that was quite cool. Um, I did also like the music. It was it's quite kind of rocky, but it was, it's rock as through the kind of uh, plinky plonky sounds of, uh, yeah. you sometimes get <clears throat> for the Mega Drive. Um, they're they're good Mega Drive tunes, but not always good role playing game tunes. Aye, like they're, um, quite rock, <laughs> they're quite rocky, like a lot, of, quite yeah. Um, yeah, sort of like rock and metal sort of riffs a lot. You get uh, like the there's a bit. But you have to walk across lava, which you can only get after you've been through a fucking cave and found these fire rings. But once you get there, it sounds like you're playing a fucking space shooter or something like that, <laughs> rather than like fucking elves and dwarves magic kind of shit. Like, yeah, it's that's, that's, it goes a bit prog rock. Then it goes like one minute you're it's a bit like a Final Fantasy game. One minute you're in Midgar, and then the next minute you're fucking with that guy beating rockets and shit. This Hollow World campaign setting that this is set in is very much. Prog rock is a perfect way to describe it. <laughs> it's it's got that fucking it's got they kind of fucking seventh saga vibes about it. Ah, well, right, okay. They're they're kind of doing standard fantasy, but everything feels a wee bit fucking weird and alien. And there are certain things in it that just you wouldn't usually see in a fantasy setting, like uh, dinosaurs, for instance. Yeah, it's a it's a campaign setting for basic D and D, which I don't think they ever brought back for the later ones. It's called the whole world, and it's kind of. Loosely based on, uh, is it is it Jules Verne, the road journey to the centre of the earth, where they go to the centre of the earth, and there's there's dinosaurs, and there's all this stuff that used to exist in the past, but doesn't anymore. Um, so yeah, as, as Mick was saying, there's, in the setting of this game, there's some god that's kind of like, kept all these races that would have otherwise gone extinct, um, and, and kind of shoved them in one place to live together. So it's a bit different for your, your usual D&D, um, kind of castles and magic and wizards type of stuff. The other thing I wanted to say about the music was um, when, when I was looking at the personnel behind this game, um, the composer jumped out at me, um, the guy Frank Klepaki, um, because he is responsible for one of the most iconic tunes in PC gaming for me, which is um, Hell March from Command & Conquer Red Alert. sort of metal sort of like influence he had but maybe couldn't realise um, on the 
on the Sega Mega Drive. Um, they gave us maybe Westwood, who um, were responsible for. Well, they made Command and Conquer after, yeah, didn't they? Yeah, Dream Two, Command and Conquer, um, Red Alert, much more more well known for um, real time games, pretty much in, inventing the genre. I think overall, if you want to play a kind of RPG from this era, and it's an era that I wasn't super familiar with, you know, these kind of old school D and D Western RPGs, pre Baldur's Gate sort of RPGs. Um, they made a kind of valiant attempt at bringing that to the Mega Drive. Nobody else had kind of really done so in a, in a home console. But I think you probably want to be playing the OG PC ones um, if you're playing a game along these lines. Maybe you're in what do you call the what they call the Gold Box series of D and D, which I've not played, but they seem to be pretty well regarded. I mean, I I think um, because you might fall into the trap of hearing us talk about this and think well, this actually sounds quite cool. Um, I think you'll probably want to like it more than you'll actually like it. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> yeah, I think, that, I think that's a bit right. I, I would have just liked a wee, a wee bit of that Japanese game design flair sprinkled in amongst it. That, that would have made it much more palatable to me. Again, I did like this um, in the end. Um, I had attempted to play this uh, throughout the years, back in the old fucking emulation days. Um, I've actually got it on my shelf for the Mega Drive, I could never make any progress. This is the first... I, I, I managed to fucking beat it, but um, this is the first time I've made it further than, like, the first cave. I couldn't recommend it to anybody. It's it's a hard game to love. A good way to end the episode. Don't play this. I couldn't recommend it. I personally have played it for 150 hours. <laughs> <laughs> make of that what you will. Don't do as I do, do as I say. <laughs> Right, well, that wraps us up for uh, the the D&D game. Uh, McCormick, I mean, other than the fact that it's, you know, could be on anybody's fucking top five, top three Sega Mega Drive games, why did you pick uh, Gunstar Heroes for Andy Mack? Um, So, yeah, by anyone's account, it's a Stone Cold Classic Mega Drive game. It was one I keep going back to on emulator. I never had it at the time. I'm not even sure if it came out in Europe. Um, but I, I certainly never had it or, or knew anybody that did. But, um, Gunstar? Yeah. Aye. Uh, okay. Aye. Um, did it? Aye. I'm <laughs> <laughs> I, I like you sounded really confident until you I- did they? It was a really, oh, it was on. a really emphatic. Ah, I course, fucking course it did. Oh, did it? Uh. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, keep revisiting um, this game. I think it's pretty amazing. Made by Treasure, one of our, I think, all of our favourite developers. And I was pretty shocked that Andy had never played it, despite loving his his Mega Drive. So yeah, I thought it was high time that he gave it a shot. Gunstar Heroes, right? So I knew what this game was. I've always heard about it, and I've heard it's like the precipice of game design on a Mega Drive. So I always wanted to just like keep it at one side. I don't want to just play us at one level or two levels. I want to sit down and get a full experience, you know? A full Gunstar Heroes hang. <laughs> and uh, and I got it, man. I got it. Sat down. The game's not that long. Um, I sat down maybe in three sittings, man. Completed it. Absolutely fucking mental. Crazy. Just a crazy, crazy fucking mad... Fucking two or three hours, man. Just running about. Enemies that are... It kind of reminds you of a Contra game where there's enemies coming left, right and centre up the, up the wazoo, man. But unlike Contra, you realise that you can actually stay alive for more than five seconds. <laughs> Aye. You've got, you've got a proper health bar. You can also do things like 
it's a running gun game. So it's like Contra a wee bit. Um, you collect different weapons. Um, things you can do in this game is you can compound weapons. So you get things like fire weapons, ice weapons. You get these homing kind of laser missiles and stuff. Let's just say the, the screen is full of baddies that are doing backflips around you and that. The homing missile might be good. If you're fighting a boss, it might just be good to get the fucking flamethrower out and absolutely roast the bastard. <laughs> Another thing I really enjoyed this game was the fact that when you're fighting a boss, and this is old school as fuck, man. Instead of getting like a health bar, you get an old kind of style um, kind of uh, counter. Aye. It's a kind of addictive, it's a wee addictive thing because you see a counter going right down rapid, man, every time you hit it with something. And uh, it's quite cool getting that counter down to zero. I don't know, there's a weird kind of fun part to it. Aye. Well, the, it's, it's got that treasure thing where the bosses always feel like a big event and also there's, there's a lot of bosses. Aye, there is, aye. The game is, plays like a console game, but it's set up in a style of an arcade game whereby, as you said, there's loads of set pieces. So the levels will maybe start with, the first level kind of starts you going for A to B, with just like Contra and shooting things, um, and you're sort of working out how to pick things up and throw them. You can toss things at people, you can like, catch weapons out of the sky, man, you can shoot... Um, Bombs that get dropped to blow up other baddies and shit. You can stand in one position for like half an hour and baddies will just keep coming left, right and centre. I don't know if I'm misremembering. Does this have that Mega Man thing where you eventually get to a point where you just pick what stage you want to do next? Aye, for the very beginning, I think there's like four stages you can pick from. Aye, that's right. So you get that thing where you can choose what stage you want to do. So you can do any one of the four to begin with. One of which is like a 2D kind of shooter level where you're driving like a wee fucking plane thing. One of them is when you're on a plane, like an aeroplane and it's driving about and fucking you've got to try and stay on a plane when it's moving to side to side. Baddies are coming left, right and centre. You get an elevator level which is like a kind of trope in these games where you're moving up the way and you've got to fucking shoot guys left and right. And then you get weird parts of your levels as well. The levels don't stay consistent. You get weird parts of your levels where you might be on like a, a big slope but you know in Mario levels that you're on a slope and the, the screen moves along, scrolls. Auto-scrollers. You're on there. Auto-scrollers on like a big kind of steep like, platform whereby you kind of go too far outside either side of the screen or else you die. But you've also got to choose the right weapon because if you use just a normal laser, you're not be able to hit the baddies it can do. So you've got to choose. You've got to, it's a lot of kind of thinking and involved it, in it, man. The pace at which you are, are describing this game and introducing new concepts and ideas to me, I feel like I'm playing Gunstar Heroes. <laughs> uh, it's fucking good, man. Um, but, right, so, as you said, you get bosses up the fucking ass, right? Um, but the bosses are good because they're not really bosses. It's just like, ho, 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 I've been waiting for you, wee man, and I'm going to kick your fucking so hole. This is and the and just... of treasure games, a, a lot of treasure games. They fucking, they love bosses. The, the games... I got this not so much with Dynamite Neddy oh, actually quite yeah, def- yeah with Dynamite Neddy and also <laughs> oh, you've, you've done, done it. it I've done it you've done it uh-huh. yes <laughs> so, sound the alarm much like Dynamite Neddy or Astro Boy the bits before the boss kind of feel like just a kind of a wee an excuse to get you to the boss when the boss is the main event and there's hundreds of them aye Mega Man type of vibe Aye, a bit Mega Man as well. It's a level, but uh, we're really just getting you to a boss, man. But, Mick, I digress here. We're talking about just the first half of the game that lures you into a false sense of security. This game's got a paradigm shift about halfway through it, man. 
See when you're completely down four levels? All of a sudden, you get put into like a game of mousetrap. No mousetrap. Oh, so this is this is quite a cool level. It's like a board game sort of structure where a uh-huh. dice falls right. down for the, the middle of the screen. You attack that dice and it kind of rolls. And as it rolls, you see a wee figure moving across a board. And depending on what Aye. stage it lands on, um, there's a different boss or a different wee challenge. Or you might get like a, a new item or something like that. Um, but you've got you've got to kind of make your way to the um, by rolling dice to the end of this kind of board to get to the the actual boss of the the level. Exactly. So you've, what you've got is a a game that will never be the same twice, because when you roll a dice, you can end up fighting like one guy first, fighting another guy second. But there is also like pitfalls as well, like a puggy, whereby you can end up landing on the go back to start square, which means you have to go right back to start a board again. It is it plays like a puggy a wee bit, man. Which is, which is fucking mental. Once you're doing this level, you can kind of get a shot at all the different parts of Gunstar Heroes. So you might think it's just a running gun game at the start, but as I said, it turns into like a 2D shooter. And, and it's just a, it's a fucking crazy, crazy fucking kind of ride, man. Ah, it's a ride, it's a ride. It's like you're on a ride, man, and you're just uh, you're just there for the fucking experience. Like, there's no boredom involved. It's not like, oh, man... Can't even be arsed in another fucking running gun level, man. It's just the same old shit. It's not the same old shit, man. Because next level, you're going to be maybe doing something, driving this mad fucking submarine or something. And then a level after that, you're going to be jumping about on a fucking board game, picking your boss with a dice. After that level, you think, can this get any better, man? Unfortunately, the game hits a bit of a lull after the board game level I found. Um, you end up doing this, uh, can I... 20 minute, maybe 20 minute shooter level, 2D shooter level, and the game kind of hits a wee low, but that's before the fucking, the last boss man, who's fucking nuts. This is one of these last bosses, it's just like a recapitulation of everything that you've <laughs> done, you've gone before it. That's right, aye, so it's basically like a compilation of all the bosses you've done. I think, uh, what's the game that is hard as fuck we've done at Halloween? Ghouls and Ghosts, is it? It's like, here's everybody you've fought so far. But, is the guy's name not like, um, Big Boggin Slugger or something, what's his name? <laughs> <laughs> Big... <laughs> so, Aye, but why not? There's something mental, something name, and uh, you've got like, guys like, watching you that you've met through the game. You've got this kind of big guy that looks like you should be a street fighter. Pongin poses, not like, a big wrestler guy. You've got a guy with a blue stormtrooper mask on. Then you've got a wee guy that looks like uh, Silly Sopranos as well, with shades on. And I just watched you like, blowing up the last boss. It's, it's just it's fucking mental. And also, um, M. Bison's in this game, enough of what? You see, M. Uh, M. Bison? There's quite a Bison-like character. He's cutting about everywhere. I'm like, that's M. Bison, man. This game can't get, this game can't get any better. M. Bison jumps out. Ralph Julio himself, man. Here's my one Gunstar Heroes fact for yous, which w- would have been the, one of the only things... It could have made this game even cooler is the fact that the developers wanted to call it Blade Gunner as a <laughs> a, tri- a tribute to the Ridley Scott film about I do like that. I do like that. Um but they they shot they shot out it because of fucking copyright reasons. It's got fucking no resemblance to Blade Runner whatsoever. No, but it's a it's a cool name. Yeah, it's a good name. <laughs> I meant to say, I thought of you when I was playing this. You fight this crab boss, and I swear to god, man. See that machine on Earthbound that Pokey's in? Aye. He's in it, mate. Oh, really? Mate, Pokey's, Pokey's in this game, man. Right? You fight Pokey, mate. You fight Pokey. He's got a wee pair of shades. He's got a stupid wee kind of patterned haircut that boy bands had in the 90s. What, so you, you, fight, fucking... you fight like a, a mechanical crab and it's got like a chubby wee dickhead in it? 
Aye, but he's got a bird on the back. He's got a bird on the back yet. It's it's mad, mate. It's just a fucking crazy mental fucking game. I tell you, I'm I'm choking for this second Earthbound special when we do it. <laughs> Aye, that'll be good. But let me talk a bit about uh, the the achievements of this game on a, a design level as well. But um, well, like, I don't mean like I'm not going to get into nuts and bolts. Just the way it looks, like. It, this looks better than any fucking SNES game I can remember. This isn't me getting my fucking Sega does with Nintendo don't carry on, but I'm just saying what I see because I've seen it and I'm saying it. Um, dynamic backgrounds that are spinning, dynamic backgrounds that are flashing on different colours. I'm surprised, Andy, that you you haven't mentioned the fact that we are all Mega Drive this episode. Aye, aye, which is the way it should be, man. Mega Drive till I die. <laughs> but, eh... Uh, You've got all these scalar effects, man, where the, the, the fucking sprites are getting bigger and smaller, going back and forth. You know that force, um, seven force it's called, and it's kind of, it's like made, made of like different kind of component parts. It transforms itself into like seven different forms and that. That Aye. is one time, one of the only times I can think of where you, you hear a programmer saying, we could only do that in the Mega Drive, we couldn't do that on the SNES, it wouldn't have worked. <laughs> like, normally exactly. It's a uh, blast processing, mate. Blast processing, very technical stuff, <laughs> you know. And that was amazing. Mega Drive kind of uh, adverts is what kind of won the day. Uh, we called it blast processing because the only thing the Mega Drive had that was better than the SNES was a faster processor. So that was a uh, that was a marketing point, wasn't it? Blast processing. But I tell you what, it looks like it was heavily employed in this game because the game looks fucking fantastic, man. And it's meant to be even better as a two player. As it's meant to be even better than a two player. Fuck man, I, is it the best co-op game on the Mega Drive? It, it might be. Oh no, Streets of Rage oh. 2. Um, but fuck man, it's close. Aye, Gunstar Red and Gunstar Blue, who very, very creatively named characters that you play in the game. That's the one thing I would say, right? I would, that's the one thing I would say. Like, I mean, the characters are pretty pish designed, but I mean, for what they've done... In this game, I'm sure we can let them off. I mean, it, man. They're, they're a wee bit, they're a wee bit generic, but I think they look cool. The the wee heat band and all they, that. The day, the day look more, cool. It's more every other character that I like. Like everyone's got a wee kind of a, a cartoony kind of aspect to them. Like all the all, all the wee baddies, like they're quite they're quite cute looking and quite kind of hapless looking, even though they're they're trying to kill you. Do you know what else? The game is for a nuance, right? Like. Um, there's bits in this game where do you remember the bit in Street Fighter 2 where you smash fuck out of car and it all falls apart and all that and you knock bits off it that's in this like, bosses are in tanks and shit you can really fuck up their tanks to a point where they're just kind of sitting in this fuck tank the sprites are massive hey. the Johnny Branshield man I joined tanks that's cut to say Johnny Branshield that was beautiful that day <laughs> when he got his big sprites and the transitions between levels the levels turn, it turns out it looks like a a VHS that's not been tracked properly and it kind of bleeds into the next level and no? all just uh, it affects our quality the colours I mean some of the levels have got like hues like different kind of uh, variations of the same colour but even that's a fucking feat man isn't it to even like, make that look good I mean the game is amazing it looks amazing it looks amazing it plays amazing it's addictive hang on a minute are you telling me on St Patrick's Day that this game is old and it is beautiful <laughs> and the colours they are fine. Is that is that really what you're saying to me? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 
Aye. Was this a game that your father previously won? Aye. <laughs> uh, a special shout out for the board game level, man. That was that's. I mean that's that's in, that's innovative as fuck, and it? it's like. You get the impression with this, it's busting with just like ideas and creativity. Like it's it's like the idea was was off limits when they were um, when they were kind of like storyboarding this. It's like ah, it's going to have a board, a level of board game. It's going to have it's going to have this and that. See, this is why this is what makes something like Gunstar Heroes so fucking joyous compared to fucking some of the shite they shovel out now. <laughs> is you know, no asking fucking why, but asking why not. Fuck it. Well, w- w- throw a fucking game show into your running gun platformer. Fuck it, why not? Exactly, <laughs> Just <Exactly>. do it. <laughs> it just makes it all better. But, Mick, what you were talking about earlier, this game came out before Dynamite Heady. It did indeed. Uh, it, it did, aye. It did, which is even, I mean, yeah, there's still a good few years of the Mega Drive's life left in. The boss's movie same, but can I move similar? kind of stretch and some bits independent of each other as you were saying earlier kind of reminds me of fighting uh, Bolgian Trouble Brewing man but it's just a great fucking time man the similarities you see if you've played, played a few of these games are just a, a general kind of vibe the way some of the characters are looking or designed and kind of move about there is there's something kind of treasure about them I always quite put my finger on, but yeah, if you've played Dynamite Heady, oh, nice point. If you play, if you play Dynamite Heady, you there's kind of things you'll recognise. I think you get the idea of what it's like. Aye. Right. Okay. Now that's out of the way. I want to talk about explosions and the music. Now, if that's all right. Aye. <laughs> so, fucking right. This game's got the turret effect, man. See that? You actually feel that your fucking torpedoes slapping off things now, like the crunch. I don't know, man, this is the way how my head works. It's pretty fucking freaky, to be honest. The weapons feel, like, really powerful. Like, that homing one, even though the, the game... It doesn't actually make the game any easier, because the game can be quite hard, but with that homing gun, it's kind of launching things all across the screen, like, kind of homing into baddies, and you feel like you're cheating a wee bit. Well, you see, the homing missiles move slower at a slower rate than the other projectiles, so it kind of compensates for itself. What was your... Favourite combo of guns, aye? Right, so I like the fire one, right? The fire one really puts paid to any fucking boss, man. I mean, the fire thing can put any boss out in a matter of seconds. And the good thing is, if you mix that with another fire, then you just become basically the fire master, the fire starter. Ah. <laughs> you become, uh, what's his name again? Keith Flint. <laughs> R.I.P. Running about. Just shooting these circles of fire. <laughs> Blowing everything up. I seem to remember getting on quite well with I think it was a combo of the laser and like a kind of rapid fire power up and combining the two aye there's a wide range of things you can do this is amazing that you can customise your weapons and shit I mean couldn't you even do that in Contra in Contra you could just switch between your weapons but in this one you can combine them man combine combining weapons man in 1993 what the fuck man treasure games seem See, be quite like doing this, but they give you a load of different moves. Like you can kind of express yourself in a whole lot of different ways because you've got all different combinations of guns that you can kind of choose between at your leisure. But there's also like brawling type of moves, like you can do like kind of slide kicks, Aye, and throws, and is, stuff like that as well. There is, there is, there is yes, that, which is yes. like four times as many moves in, well, so, in Sonic you just get a jump like in, in this there's about 16 different ways to take down an enemy there's a very exciting move in this um, that kind of harks back to Golden Axe where you can do the double what, forward and you run 
and you can do like a mad like, kind of slidey heat button right. like, like Thunder Nut does and Golden Axe <laughs> and uh, you can grab on enemies that are close to you too and do like a wrestling move on them slam them you can actually apparently if you're playing a two player mode you can pick your pal up and throw the fucking your, the other player at enemies <laughs> and shit Aye. You know what I mean? What the fuck's going on here? You know what I mean, this game is fucking awesome, man. You can grapple the bodies and all, can't you? Aye, aye, you can body slam them. If they're if you time it enough, aye. Brilliant. And uh, the good thing is, it's not an overly difficult game. It, it presents itself as such, like it's one of these games, oh no, this is going to be a fucking murder. Look how many things are on the screen, man. But it's not, because you get peppered with fucking health all the time. It's great. It's great. Aye. And then you, become, you get these wee kind of... Like, Bits unscheduled parts of the level where you're trying to make it to that heart, you get baddies coming, you're saying, Right, I'm just going to leave that baddie and go for the heart. Ah! And it works sometimes, and it works sometimes. In the OAS time, this mad fucking fucking tunes playing, man. And it's just fucking amazing. I think uh, Gunstar Heroes, at least in the early parts of the game, I would say prioritises fun over having a challenge. But it's quite good at making you feel like you have been challenged, yeah, yeah. even when necessarily you probably haven't been that taxed. You know, sometimes when you get through a big boss, you think, oh, I just made it there. Whereas actually, you probably beat it quite comfortably. It manages to get this urgency across. It's, and it's not a hard game. It's quite a user-friendly game. It's well designed. You get full control over the character, man. If you change direction, then, you know, you can do it quite easily. Some of these games suffer for like, bad movement. Uh, Mick, I don't know if you want to give us a wee few bars of the tunes for this game, just to get across how fucking amazing any, it is. Any, any preference, any particular level? I like the first level. I like the first level music. Aye, mad kind of game that looks it man it looks like a Nintendo game like a first party Nintendo game the carrots went into it the way the levels move about and all that it made me a Yoshi's Island a wee bit as well the way they all kind of they're malleable and nothing static everything's interactive just looks really cool and it's a brilliant game it's a brilliant example of what could be done in the early 90s I mean it's games that came out after this that are pure shite and then you look at this masterpiece man and think Mega Drive is fucking brilliant man you really really put your mind to it you know this is what Treasure was all about. It was made before they used to work at Konami, but they got basically sick of just being called in to make sequels again. Oh, you're, you're mm. going to make another 
Goals and Ghosts or another Castlevania or another Contra like, we've got these ideas for something new we want to make just something you've never seen before and ironically they, they pitched Gunstar Heroes to Sega um, and they were like nah there's no track record there we want you to make a McDonald's game <laughs> they ended up making <laughs> ended up making the McDonald's game, but they had Gunstar Heroes like just just ready to go once once that one came out once they proved themselves. Was that a game that Bradfield played on here? No, the McDonald's game? I, I think it was a different no. one. Was it? Yeah, McDonald's Treasure Land. Ah, right, okay, different game then. But I uh, fuck me, um, great, great, great fucking game. One of the games I had left to play for the Mega Drive. And yeah, it was an absolute I mean, pleasure, man. I don't think that's that... true. I think there's a power of nonsense you've you've not played in the Americans, right? But I mean, aye. But I mean, that's that's, that that's that's nonsense you're talking about. But in terms of all the best Mega Drive games, is there something a wee bit sad or melancholic? The fact that no, that's another one of the the absolute greats ticked off the list that you'll never be able to experience for yeah. the first time again. See when you get a plate of dinner, especially like a Christmas dinner, or even just a chow mein or something, you leave like a big chunky bit to last because you're thinking, oh man, that's going to be good. I know it's going to be good, I'm going to leave it to last. And then you eat it and you're like, oh, that was beautiful, man. That's a, that's a kind of analogy I would make with it. <laughs> um, but I should point out to the listener that Andy has got presumably a chow mein sitting next to him that um, <laughs> he's, about, he's, about to, he's about to eat as soon as we finish recording. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just say that uh, with a tear in my eye, I'll just keep my face to me. It truly is the soul and chilli chicken balls of the Mega Drive back catalogue, that's what I'll say. Aye, seriously man, it's a... Uh, the carnage of that game reminds me of when the two went salt and chilli mental for a few weeks, man. <laughs> I mean, since we're on the, the subject of the Mega Drive in general and where Gunstar Heroes falls in, to, you know, the pantheon of your classics. Andy, I'm not asking you to name your whole top ten, but after the top of your head, does this go straight in it? Oh, yes. There we go. Aye. The reason why, I've, I've told you all the reason why, basically, but there's games on the Mega Drive that are just different, different animals. I'm talking about, like, Comic Zone, Dynamite Heady, even, like, Castlevania Bloodlines, even Sonic 3 and Knuckles, I dare say. It's loads. Um, Toja Nero. This is one of them. Aye, it's care. It's been it's been delivered so many care packages. It's just became like sentient, and it's amazing. I mean, if that's not a fucking endorsement, but for Mister Mega Drive, I don't know what is. Mister <laughs> Mega Drive. Aye, spelting man. Play it because if you don't play it, then you'll end up like me, and you'll play it one day, and then you'll love it anyway. So you might as well just play it now. Okay, I lost my track here when I was done. <laughs> <laughs> I think I never played this at the time, but um I'm sure my first exposure to it I don't even I don't even think I got run to playing it on an emulator. This is always on Mega Drive classic collections. Mm. I mean they've, they've been yeah. coming out since like the time of the PS2 and the GameCube and that. Gunstar Heroes is Aye. always on your fucking Mega Drive best ofs. Aye. And it's good that it's on the mini now because I mean I obviously use my Everdrive but it's good that it's on the mini because these games have a tendency when they play on emulators to have a bit of input lag even if it's minuscule even if it's well, minuscule makes all the difference man if you're not getting your projectiles sorted at the right time these games can become a right bastard 
So it's good that M2, who have actually been about for like 40 years, created an emulator for the Mini that allows, like, it feels like you're playing on a native Mega Drive, essentially. So this is probably the best time to play Gunstar Heroes, to be honest. Aye. Get a Mega Drive Mini, or else get the one that's suit for the PlayStation, the Mega Drive pack. I, 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 didn't, I, I didn't actually get around to playing it myself this time, purely for that reason, because like the... I didn't want the input like to spoil my, my experience of it. It really can. It, re- it really can. Aye, definitely. But you're not going to play like one of these <laughs> games of Radiant Silver Gun or something on a, an emulator. No, anyway, anyway. McCormick, I think this is one of the ones that comes preloaded on your Retroid, but has one of those weird like Chinese bootleg games where it's called like Gun Bastards or Genocide City <laughs> or something like that. Like, <laughs> uh, I didn't realise that. I've been expecting to go for that one. <laughs> gun uh, Bastards. Chairman Bow's righteous patriotic gun adventure. <laughs> I've got a soft spot for a Chinese knockoff, man. Like, remember when this pounding just came out? You couldn't get any. You couldn't get any like toys. But if forum, wouldn't they like you doing? The guy in the forum sold these like. Chinese knockoff Power Rangers, and they just did their job. I don't know any better. Uh, Viva China, whatever. Well, it is. I, I don't know what it is about Player One and Gunstar Heroes, but I think he looks a bit like a Maoist. <laughs> and, and, and there you go. Ah, I suppose. Is it because he's a rural setting in the first level? It possibly is, Ian, because he's got a lot of fire, <laughs> firepower. Red, red uh, <laughs> <laughs> and the red bandana. <laughs> Aye, and the physics like you do great leap forwards too. Both one screen to the other. True. <laughs> and you know, um, he kind of looks like a communist uh, gorilla, and um, some of the people that you kill look kind of like Americans. Um, so maybe that's why it's exactly. also. Is it? Is she the fact that you don't have a name, you just have an identifying colour? That's pretty common. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. part of the Gunstar Collective. You <laughs> <laughs> Aye, it's class though. Aye, can it be tip? Does that wrap up Gunstar Heroes? Is there anything either one of you wants to say? It's a big stonker, man. And uh, oh yeah, I dare say, man, when it comes to playing out the dinner at the end of the, the year, we might even hear about this game again. Who knows? Who knows? It's up with the bean sprouts in your chow main by the end of the year. Uh, it's up there. It's gonna be up it's gonna be it's gonna be on the plate, I reckon. I would it's be, be on the plate. I would be very surprised if, if this wasn't a roast totty for Andy. Aye, it's going to be on the plate. I know it's not. It's already got a place in the starting eleven on the plate. But whether it's going to be money match or not, I've still have a long, a long year to go yet. Yeah, we we're only in March, right? Well, I guess that brings us on to dishing out our games for next time, um, listener. We've no got. It's not a special for you, but we've got a loose theme where we're all dishing out uh, handheld games uh, for next time. So. You know, your Game Boys, your Game Gear, that type of fair. Um So, Andy, um, mm. what have you got for McCormick? Well, I thought I'd better branch you a wee bit because, you know me, I always stick to what I'm used to and all that. So, I'm going to pick a Sonic game for Mick. <laughs> so, this is an unknown kind of, a kind of offshoot Sonic game that... I find heavy interesting for various reasons, but we'll go into it next week or next time we're on. I'm going to give you Sonic Pocket Adventure for the Neo Geo Pocket of all things. I right, look forward to this one. It looks quite charming. There's a few things I want to see about it, but I'll leave right. it. So I'm going to give Mick one for um, the only handheld I had as a Wayne because I was a big dweeb, uh, the Game Gear. So I'm going to give him Axe Battler, which is a 
interesting. Uh, Dove mm. is good uh, mix of um, a couple of different, to a couple of different genres, and a spin-off of um, that game we don't talk about. Oh, it's. I mean, uh, it's... it's only the game that Zelda Two could have been. Um, <laughs> but yes, uh, for Andy and like your Game Gears Neo Geo, no, I'm keeping it nice and simple. We're going back to the Game Boy Color, and it's a game. But you're looking for the ROM for it, by the way, or you know when you're buying it legitimately. It's mostly known as Survival Kids because that right. that is the North American name for it. But in Europe, it was called Stranded Kids, and it's a a tap-down adventure game, but the emphasis is on survival and exploration. You're a stranded Wayne uh, on a deserted island, and you need to find food sources, sources of water, and just try and explore the island, maybe find a way off it. And I used to heavily like it, so that's um, that's my, my pick for you, Andy. Let's do it, man. Sounds a bit like um, No Man's Sky. Maybe. <laughs> No, no child's island. <laughs> I, I wouldn't go and expect no man's sky. <laughs> let's let's just say that the island is a very safe place. the The child is the only inhabitant on it. Um, it's not a little Saint James situation. Uh, you don't find you, you don't find you don't find a strange temple or anything like that. North Sentinel Island. You try to bring a food package and you get fucking. <laughs> Well, we, we 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 can maybe talk about our favourite islands as well during that episode. But yeah, um, I think I think that about wraps it up. Does does either of you want to take it away? We shanked St Patrick. <laughs> Aye, St Paddy got it stinking today, man. But yeah, listen, listen, man, listen. There's a place for every day, isn't there? And St Paddy's right up there. We want our best. Happy St Paddy's Day, everybody. Happy St Patrick's Day. Which it won't be when you listen to this, but fuck you. 